0: Welcome back for another episode of Physician Voices, presented by The Break Room, the podcast by Privia Health. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Caitlin Zahner as my guest today. A board-certified pediatrician at Capital Medical Group in Chevy Chase, Maryland, Dr. Zahner specializes in pediatric development, mental health, and complex conditions as well as quality improvement initiatives and patient advocacy. Outside of medicine, Dr. Zahner enjoys scuba diving, board game nights, and exploring different cuisines. Dr. Zahner, thank you so much for coming on the show today to discuss uh, mental health, value-based care, and physician leadership in pediatrics. Before we dive into those topics, though, uh, I'd like to ask, What led you to private practice?
1: Yeah, thank you, Morgan, for having me. I'm happy to be able to to talk. So I guess I'll I'll start from the beginning. Following my pediatric residency training, uh, I completed a chief year at University of Maryland Medical Center. And as part of that, we did have clinical roles, of course. So I worked as a pediatric hospitalist as well as a preceptor for the primary care clinic that was part of University of Maryland. And At that point, I knew I wanted to go into private practice. and knew at that point that I was interested in mental health and, and development. And As part of my training in residency, I had extra opportunities to be able to gain more knowledge in that and really learn from some wonderful physicians about that. One of the other things I was able to do as a chief was to learn about the quality improvement in a larger system. It really was the first time that I peeked behind the curtain and was able to see operationally the type of things that went into troubleshooting the system, understanding where improvements needed to be made, understanding where strengths were, um, and sort of all the stakeholders in the system. And coming out of training, I knew that that would be something that I wanted to try to incorporate into my career as well. Initially, I was part of a smaller independent practice prior to Capital Medical Group, It was a good starting point. There were many learning opportunities, but over time, it was not the right fit for a variety of reasons. And I was very excited and still am uh, to be part of Capital Medical Group now. I looked for a practice that offered more collegiality and allowed me to pursue some of those other specific clinical interests. Uh, This group had opportunities for me to connect with some of the local medical schools and continue that type of precepting. It's an environment in general that's very stable and cohesive and has a drive to evolve, which was absolutely demonstrated during the pandemic. When I first joined CMG, I knew that they were part of Privia and knew that we as a group participated as part of that larger value-based care system, but didn't really understand until I had been practicing there for a while, kind of what Privia could offer to the group, to the individual provider and for patients.
0: Yeah, it's so awesome that you were able to find a practice with that collegiality, stability, and freedom to explore your unique interests. Your Privia experience is interesting in that whereas most of our physicians are practice owners who then decide to partner with us, you joined an already established Privia practice. What are some of the benefits of being uh, with a Privia practice?
1: From a clinical standpoint, Privia has a lot of support in place for practices. There's the practice management, business analytics. How do I make my practice stronger part of it? There are the clinical services, most directly the EMR, which is generally a very good program from a patient standpoint it allows patients to kind of join into this larger referral network that does have a lot of ancillary services uh, available to them as well with a goal to try to improve patient access and um, be able to provide better care. And that, of course, too, in a way, very directly reduces the after-visit burden on the physician who feels like they want to connect their patient with those resources. From a leadership standpoint, Privia has been absolutely amazing and offering opportunities for physicians who are interested in developing part of their career and being really involved in leadership. And I've been able to be a part of that. I am not a practice owner, and yet I have really been able to start to shape a career path in the larger system that allows me to scratch that itch from the, my initial exposure, I think, to, to quality improvement and operations and understanding stakeholders and figuring out how I can try to be a part of the change in that system while supporting my fellow pediatricians uh, and most importantly, being able to do so in a way that lets us take good care of patients and reduce their illness burden and improve their, their health outcomes.
0: I love how through your relationship with Privia, you found not only that technical, structural support, but also a sense of community and fulfillment. You mentioned a moment ago that one of your clinical interests is mental health, which is, of course, a top concern in healthcare. Since the pandemic, there's been a massive spike in pediatric mental health conditions. How have you responded to this situation?
1: Strong words exist in the English language for a reason. The word crisis is an absolutely accurate description of where we are right now with mental health in the country. This is true for all populations, but particularly for children and adolescents. We as humans have all navigated a bizarre couple of years with the pandemic. Developmentally, it's impacting kids. We have seen a major uptick in anxiety, depression, OCD, eating disorders, it's it's a tough time for kids, and we're not sending kids home to a vacuum, so it ends up being a very tough time for families and parents themselves who, you know, may be struggling themselves with anxiety, depression, or other mental illnesses. When we think about pediatric mental health, we have to think about age and stage of development, and, and when we're measuring function, it's very different from age to age. That word disorder means that dysfunction is happening. And how do I gauge that if you're 4 or 14 or 24? Age to age, I'm thinking about all those psychosocial settings. Um, and this is sort of all the way that we're measuring function or dysfunction when we're assessing the behavior that's being described, the thoughts that are being experienced, and you know potentially designating that clinical label of uh, mental health disorder. Pediatricians are the front lines for mental health. And because of that, and although I happen to practice in an area that has a number of mental health providers, both psychiatrists and psychologists, the wait lists right now are long. It's absolutely oversaturated. And when there is a real crisis or urgent situation that's happening, it isn't appropriate to hand a piece of paper and say, I think you need to go to psychiatry. And by the way, maybe you'll get a call back for an appointment in six months. And so because of that, we as pediatricians really have evolved to have to be able to better understand and manage mental health. These appointments take time. To do them right, they take a lot of time. When there's a major crisis and I'm worried that something life threatening is happening, that's not a five minute visit. It could be an hour and a half long visit. And you have to do it right. And it becomes an emergency just in the same way the asthma attack or heart attack might be an emergency. The reason I'm going into that explanation is because somehow, also technically, that type of complex information collecting, analyzing, management planning, time-taking process has to work into my day-to-day workflow. (laughs) And so that means, you know, clinical workflow has to evolve if there is a complicated situation. Follow-up has to happen in a timely manner. I have to help get access to counseling and if needed in certain situations, psychiatrist. if I feel like the medication management is becoming kind of out of the scope of my expertise and troubleshooting ability... I may be in situations connecting with local mental health access programs to be able to curbside consult a psychiatrist to discuss a management plan um, if I think I need some help with that. I need to help families figure out how to navigate a school system and advocate for development of a learning plan that will better be tailored to the child's needs. And somehow all of that has to happen in a 15 to 30 minute visit. Right, And so, again, the clinical workflow, the documentation, that part of it is important. All of it takes time.
0: Wow. As alarming as the mental health crisis is, I'm also filled with hope uh, hearing you share how you and uh, other pediatricians have adapted to combat this crisis. Uh, you mentioned adjusting workflows and wielding all resources available to you, but what additional changes can help not only address uh, this issue of mental health, but improve healthcare more generally?
1: More work needs to be done around expanding access for mental health conditions from preschool onward. In the pediatric realm, I think about particularly the patients that are maybe more complicated, you know, very young preschoolers, kids who have compounding medical issues, kids who are autistic or neuroatypical or are going through a gender identity journey. These type of patients are at higher risk for the experience of things like anxiety or depression. And yet the resources for them are fewer far apart and often not covered by insurance. And so my hope would be over time, As a Privia initiative, there really is thought given to expanding access to mental health to directly create referral networks that allow for all patients, particularly our child and adolescent patients, to access psychiatrists, psychologists for individual group or family therapies that expand that age range, Uh, more direct access when needed to the more intensive programs, uh, intensive outpatient programs partial hospitalization programs, or even inpatient care when needed. Mental health, it connects all humans together. It connects the whole system together. And there really need to be system-wide solutions for this. Childhood mental health strongly impacts our mental health in adulthood. If I can do a better job helping a family manage their child's mental health, as a preschooler, school-age kid, teenager, I can set them up to be a healthier adult. Mental health is absolutely connected to physical health. Our mind and body are connected. We also know very specifically, and and studies have shown, that if you have underlying mental health issues that are not well managed, that your physical health deteriorates. That outcomes related to adult health conditions like high blood pressure and diabetes and just general chronic illness management, that the outcomes are poor in individuals who have untreated or are suffering from mental health conditions. This is true with kids too. All of these things become harder to manage if anxiety or depression is untreated, and and truly they end up being part of it.
0: Yeah, The impact of childhood health, including mental health, on lifelong well being calls to mind value based care. A core tenet of that model is promoting preventive care to avoid more serious complications uh, in the future. However, recent advancements in value based care have mainly focused on older patients. I'm wondering what is the state of value based care in pediatrics?
1: I want to answer that in a few different ways. The chronic illness burden is increasing for pediatric patients. Children are now surviving based on technological advances and therapeutic advances, frankly, conditions that they used to die from. And that is a big focus in value-based care right now, i.e. managing those more complicated medical conditions. The primary care physician's role, again, becomes the kind of frontline interface for these patients. We have wonderfully long relationships with our patients that's why we went into primary care to be able to zoom back think about longer timelines for children that have multiple subspecialists as part of their plans we are helping families communicate directly with those subspecialists but on a more basic level i think about their physical health their illness experiences and their development differently a child who may not have such a complicated medical story. We're doing all of this to try to keep these chronic conditions stable, to more effectively manage flares and whatever that condition may be, to reduce the chance that children are hospitalized or need more invasive procedures, of course, to improve their health outcome, and also do so while thinking about their growth, their development, their mental health, the family's mental health, the illness burden, the cost related to that for the family. Um, And and each of these conditions does have a a cost related to it, too. And that's where it sort of funnels back to value-based care.
0: Yeah. Discussing costs, uh, particularly in value-based care in pediatrics, is a touchy subject. On the one hand, medicine is ever-increasingly expensive. On the other hand, controlling costs can seem antithetical to the goal of comprehensive, high-quality care. What makes discussing costs in pediatrics uh, so complex and and challenging?
1: In general, in value-based care, when we talk about human illness or an attributed life with a cost associated with it, it can feel a little bit removed. And I think when you're talking about a child in that way and the cost associated with care for someone's precious child, it feels it feels unnatural. Like we're pediatricians. We want to nurture. Like you, your kid's crying. I want to make them feel better just as much as you do. But when it comes down to it, there are costs associated with the care we're providing. And we know that if we can provide care to the standards that we know are the gold standard for care, and we can capture how that care is being provided in the clicks and keystrokes of our EMR, And those data points can be pulled accurately, then we, yes, reduce cost and we perform well on the contracts. And there are appropriate rewards for physicians participating in those contracts. But most importantly, we're improving health outcomes. We're making sure they have the best chance to grow and develop with all the potential that they have, even if there are these compounding chronic illnesses. Ideally, as they are transitioning to the adult primary care docs, I'm able to help them become the healthiest version of a young adult that they can be. It's tough to measure these things generationally. But when it comes down to it, if I can do a better job, reducing risk of obesity, increasing physical activity, making sure the child doesn't develop prediabetes or high blood pressure, managing or supporting mental health issues that come up, they're going to be a healthier adult, which means their risk as an adult for high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, and the obesity-related sequelae goes down which means then my adult colleagues hopefully have a more typical time managing the medical care of that patient. Their healthcare outcomes are better. Their chronic illness burden is reduced and the cost associated with care related to their medical health goes down. And this is one of the things that's tricky about providing pediatric care in a value-based system is really the hard work and time and 20-year-long relationship that we have with our patients impacts the work and time and relationship and medical management of the adult patients. Yet there's no way cross-generationally to look back and then reward pediatricians for that part of it. And yet pediatricians should be appropriately compensated for the care they're providing in general in primary care compared to other specialties We're undervalued. In general, pediatrics compared to internal medicine is undervalued. And this is a U.S. healthcare system issue that there is ongoing discussion
0: about. I I absolutely agree. And it's heartening to see how those ongoing discussions are uh, little by little helping fix that. Another area in which pediatricians are undervalued or overlooked is in leadership positions. How important is it that we elevate pediatricians' voices particularly in discussions about value-based care?
1: When we are thinking about the actual quality measures and performance metrics in these contracts, it's absolutely vital to have pediatricians involved in the discussion. When the contracts are up for renegotiation and we're thinking about what measures make sense, and some of them are very straightforward, like give the vaccines at the schedule that the AAP and CDC in their evidence-based recommendations require us to give, Some of them are a little bit trickier, like screening for depression and follow-up of that, or management of asthma and the asthma medication ratio. But we do want to be very cognizant of, when we can, advocacy so that the quality measure sets that are developed, the performance metrics that are looked at, how these things are pulled directly from the EMR or from supplemental data, that they are realistically achievable the measures and metrics aren't always perfect. Even with best intention, there are clear areas where data isn't being pulled properly or the data that we're receiving isn't making sense based on the workflow that we're pretty sure that we're doing. That is also part of my role to be part of the pediatric team that is looking specifically at this. What does the data mean? What's the utility of the data? What does it tell us? What are the limitations of that data? How can we be sure that the work that's being done is actually being captured? How can we develop strategies around all of those things, communicate those strategies to our pediatricians, hear feedback from them uh, as to whether it's going well, not going well, realistic, not realistic, and then continue to advocate at the payer level as well. This is why physicians need to be in leadership to understand the complexity of all of that. We're one of the stakeholders in the system needing to communicate these strategies to fellow physicians. So there's a need to understand the clinical realm and and the expertise there and the need to have an understanding of the operational realm as well. And this is why Privia is successful. Uh, And this is why physician leadership needs to to continue as part of that as the system grows.
0: Yeah, wonderfully said. Uh, Creating a system that best serves pediatricians and the patients and families you all care for requires actively involving pediatricians and amplifying your perspectives. So on that note, Dr. Zahner, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Happy to be able to participate, and it was nice to to do so with you as well.
0: And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You can find content by our guests, physicians, and healthcare industry thought leaders on Informed, the blog by Privia Health. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and blog to stay up to date on all things healthcare. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I will see you next time for another episode of The Break Room.